been, uh, I've been in a ministry as uh, ordained pastor in 1976 for 44 years since my ordination. I was ordained at a place called uh, Community Baptist Church on Briarcliff Road, right up the way here, uh, by a man, Dr. Richard Anderson. He was kind to me and helped me early in the ministry, and I'm thankful to him and for him and what he did for me and encouraged me in the gospel ministry. Uh, from there, I was there for about three years, and I moved over to 1980. When this church met, I got a phone call. On the third Sunday, they met together. It was about 20 folks, and we asked me to preach for them at the Shangri-La. They rented a little place at the Shangri-La. I preached there third and fifth Sunday, morning, night. And uh, I liked the group immediately. I just loved Brother McCollum. If you knew Jim McCollum, anybody ever knew Jim McCollum? He just had a burning desire to see boys and girls and men and women saved. And that was my spirit. And that's what I wanted to ha see happen. And I just felt like Ernest Stewart, same way, the first two deacons of Gospel Baptist, both of them in heaven. And I just, my soul, like Jonathan did to David, my soul knit together with those men and the other men that were here, some of the other folks. Our first beginning, we had more children than, than adults by far. We, we would go out and pick more kids up and had adults, and uh, we just loved it. And I'll go into that a little bit. I, I began to meditate about the 40th anniversary message. What am I going to preach for the 40th anniversary? And the Holy Spirit just really became clear to me, and I do this, and I'll explain it to you. Uh, but the title of this is The Seven Greatest Decisions I've Made in the, in the Ministry. In the Ministry. Uh, and I believe it can help you because these are decisions uh, that you can make in your own life. I call them great decisions. This is not a bragamony. Uh, this is actually the opposite of a bragamony. This is a confession today. I'm going to do a confession today. It is a transparent and open testimony of what God did and has done in my life. Um, I hope you decide in some ways, like Paul said, Paul said, imitate me or follow me. And I say, in some degree, follow me in some of what God has led me to do. I'm not taking away anything at all because to God be all the glory. The Bible says there's no flesh shall glory in his presence. And I'm not really glorying in the flesh at all. I'm glorying in that God has led and allowed me to make some decisions that were in concordance with his will. I've been given a brain. Basically, my dad used to say, son, you've been given a six-gun with six bullets. Shoot them how you will, but beware how you shoot them. And, you know, that's, a, that's really a good way of putting it. You have been, God, God sovereignly has given you the six-gun and the six bullets. That's his work. And how you shoot them is your work. That's what you're going to be held accountable for as a born-again believer to judgment seat of Christ. And so... I just want to say that God was here, has been here in every decision. We want Him here. We've asked Him to be here in ability to make every decision. Our outcomes on our, those decisions will hinge our decision-making upon our decision-making. In other words, basically where we end up going is just accumulation of all your decisions. Who you are today, not 100%. But a lot of what you are today is based on all the decisions you've made. It's accumulation of decision-making. 
Our, I think our eternal future hangs on this decision-making that we go through. So the, 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 the message today is about ministry decisions here at the gospel. And uh, I think everyone God has called into his field to work can make the same decisions that have been made here at the gospel. The text verse is Matthew 18, 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself, and you remember, you remember little wheel? By the way, his name is Wheel. Wheelbarrows. Wheelbarrows. Both mom and dad missed a great opportunity by not naming him that. Boy, nobody had ever forgot that kid's name, man. But wheelbarrows, I'm not sure what his real name, what his given name is, but that's mine for him. I had I nickname all the kids here. I I remember uh, one kid I named Crawdad. Crawdad. I said Crawdad, and he loved it. He loved it. Crawdad. And his mom came rebuked me one day. She rebuked me. She said, "How dare you call him Crawdad when I we my my husband and I prayed about what his name would be. It made it real sanctimonious, and uh, God told us to name him Crawford." And I said, no, God led me to name him Crawdad. <laughs> God did lead you to name him Crawford, but God didn't lead me to name him Crawford. And I'm calling him Crawdad. But anyways, that's how that worked out. He said, except you become as a little child. Now, a little child was about wheel's age. That was about the, in the Greek. You look it up. That's about the age of the kid it's talking about. Two, I think he's under three. Wheels under three still. Shy little child. <laughs> but uh, that's what God wants. And the same, it says the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you meant an angel today, he'd act a whole lot more like wheel than he'd act like me. You saw the innocency in that? Did you sense the innocency? Did you sense the transparency? Did you sense he had nothing to hide? Do you sense he wasn't playing a game? That's all adult stuff. Jesus said, you become like this little child. Because if you got like that little child, you're like the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The seven great decisions I made, number one, I decided to put the Bible first in my life. And I decided to put Bible reading first at Gospel Baptist under my, I'm the captain of the ship. There's going to be one captain of a ship. And if somebody else may be a better captain, but you only got one captain. Hopefully you do better next time. But uh, you got one captain, you know. I tell people I don't like leadership, I don't want leadership, but as long as I'm the captain, I'm the captain. You got to take it and you got to run with it until it's over. And there always is a beginning on things and there always is an end. And so I had to decide what was going to be my number one emphasis, what was going to be the emphasis of the church that I was the pastor of. And I, I just got before God on this and it just kept coming back. If you don't know the Bible, what good is the rest of the stuff? 
Psalm 119, 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. It was big with David. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Paul says to Timothy, Study to show thyself approved a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's expositorially explaining it correctly, considering the first comparative and last mention, considering its literal nature, and so on. But no one's, no one's going anywhere with God without a serious desire and effort to know the Bible. It's a duh. I'm talking D-U-H. It's a no-brainer. It's a given. Many, many of God's people are relatively ignorant of the Bible. Now here's where the preaching comes in. If you're sitting there, ignorant of the Bible, except in a few rare exceptions, it's your fault. Aren't you glad you came today? Well, I didn't know that preacher. Yes, you did. <clears throat> but until you decide to know this book, I, I heard people that had their PhDs, Doctor of Philosophy. That means you've read every book written on a subject. You've studied everything there is, the knowledge, a circle of knowledge on that subject. And pretty much, you write a dissertation, and you, you pretty much have covered that, and you got a consul that interviews you and believes that, okay, you've got a good grip of, the, of this, this circle of knowledge in the area of veterinarian. And they give you your, your PhD. They give you your doctorate of veterinarian. Or, or Brother Lansdorf, uh, Lons I think it's Lansdorf, actually. Uh, you get your you get your MD, or, or like Dr. Crabb, you get your DO. You got You got to study it to that where you got to make your, you have you have basically reviewed and mastered pretty much all that knowledge. But it has been said about in about study and knowledge that you can really rare is a person that can do that two times in a life. Now you'll have double PhDs once in a while, but mostly no. That one realm of knowledge takes pretty much their time and their effort. And, and I, I, just, I just thought I would see people talking about stuff and hear them talking about knowledge and different stuff they knew, and I got impressed about it. But I thought the Holy Spirit whispered to me one day, says, you, you got a choice. I'm, I'm probably 15, 16 years old. And he says to me, you got a choice in life of what you're going to what you're going to know. You can be a jack of all trade and master of none, or you can concentrate on something that's going to last forever. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a, a veterinarian or a medical doctor because you got to do that to do that, and that's good. That's an occupation being used of God. But most of the born-again doctors I've known and most born-again people in the PhD area that love Jesus Make this their number one pursuit. Why? There'll be no need for a veterinarian in heaven. There'll be a lot of animals, but nobody's going to be sick. There'll be no need for Dr. Lonsdorf. There'll be no need for a physician, because the great physician's there. And there'll be no need for engineers or nuclear physicists or all that other stuff in heaven. But there still will be a need for this. There still will be a need for this. 
So, I hate to say, but many Christians struggle through life, ignorant of the Bible. It shows in their life. They make all kinds of bad decisions. See, decision-making depends on what you know. If you've got to know all the facts. Some people come to me and say, Brother Bill, I want to buy some yellow balls for bus ministry, and we're going to give. We're going to have a yellow ball bus ministry day, and we're going to give out yellow balls to everybody. Do you want to do it? And I say, didn't give me enough information. What do you mean? Well, I want to know how big the yellow balls are. Can they swallow them? I want to know. Can we put our name on with a gospel on it? I want to know how much each ball is going to cost. I want to know when you can get it. I want to know if it's legal. And give me all this information and other information, and then we'll sit down at a table and say yes or no. In other words, you've got to have information to make a decision. You make an informed decision, amen? And if you do it any other way, you're crazy. A biblically educated church is an easy church to pastor. It actually was a selfish decision on my part. Why? Because the people you preach to Sunday after Sunday and minister with, they understand why you do what you do. They understand why you want to go where you want to go. They understand what the whole thing's about because they know the book. And they align up with you ideologically. Can two walk together lest they be agreed? Did you know there's no generation gap? There's only an ideological gap. Millennials have no difference. This brother's a new millennial. This brother in the front is a millennial. Then they get a bad rap. But the, you're a, you guys are millennials too, right? Oh, yeah. The millennials in this room, there's a number of millennials in this room, and, and we are one together. We're one. Are you a millennial? Oh. Yeah, I know, brother. I know. I know. I didn't point to you. But uh, we're one. We talk about the same stuff. We got the same kind of, we're walking the same path. There's no generation gap. Just because somebody's 20 and somebody's uh, 70 doesn't make, a, doesn't make them split apart. It's what they believe that changes what they get together or not. And so if you want a church that has unity, we all have to get on the same page we all have to know the same book. Of course, the God of the book first. Then you know the book. So why does preacher get red-faced, come up here and beg us in every kind of way he can come up with to read the Bible? Because I know, I know, and I know that if you don't know that Bible, you're not going to have the outcome you want. And you care about your outcome. You care about it. The second great decision I believe that God's led to make here to gospel is an emphasis on prayer, the priority of prayer. The Bible says in James 5.16, Confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. Effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I believe in prayer. But I don't believe in prayer. I don't worship the subject. Of prayer and make it an idol. I worship the God it's directed to. Do you understand the difference? They have National Day of Prayer. They're just worshiping the, the, the system of prayer. They don't care who it's to. But prayer is no better than who it's to. You follow my logic. 
The object of the prayer is who we worship, Jesus Christ. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. The Father may be glorified in His Son. He told us to pray in His name. And Jesus did something else to prayer. He made it secret. He took it from a public arena and made it a private arena. We don't do big, long, complicated prayers publicly here at the gospel. There's a reason. It's because Jesus says when you pray, go in your closet and shut the door. And he that heareth thee in secret will reward you openly. Now, there's nothing wrong with an opening prayer and a closing prayer and those kind of things together. But we're not, we're not emphasizing public prayer. We're emphasizing private prayer. It's what you do in secret that God said he'll reward you openly for. Jesus changed the game. He explained it because the Pharisees were big on going, man, and getting them in front of folks, and they had a good vocabulary and a grip on the Bible, and they would pray these magnificent prayers with all this vocabulary. It was, whoo, that, that was an astounding prayer. That was a tremendous prayer. They even used it to rob widows. Years ago, in 20... Eight years ago, I became senior pastor here in 1992. A decision I decided after asking God about was I wanted one of my one one I wanted to come to the auditorium on Saturday afternoon or night when nobody was here, and I wanted to spend time with God. And I'm being I'm not telling you everything because. I don't want this to appear about, this isn't about me. This is about decision. And I pray for the deacons and the trustees and leadership, the pianists and the organists and the song leader. I pray for a whole list of preachers all over the country. I pray for evangelists and retired preachers. I always pray for you, brother. Always pray for Tom Crichton. Where's Tom at? I don't pray for your wife as much as I should, but I pray for you, brother. No, I do. I pray for those who signed up to read through the Bible. It's 170 or 60, 70 people by name. I pray for the Cuban ministers, 20 of them. I pray for the Christian colleges we support. We, we endorse and support 12 of those with the, with the uh, administrators of them. I pray for the track ministry. I pray for the Christian school staff by name. And, and it not only includes the teachers, but the staff. I, I spend time praising God and just thanking Him for who He is. Man. I made all kinds of decisions. And you know what? My wife, my wife, and she's human. Well, she's human. Would you like to hear about it? Uh, A preacher's wife has to give him up. She has to give him up. She can't have her claws out. And she says, we never do any, we never get to do anything on Saturday night. Where are you at? Kathy in here? Uh-oh. <laughs> and I'm not saying this disparagingly, but this is her humanity. 
Because people invite us out on Saturday night, and it's always no. I say, well, no, because that's my prayer night. I, what I've had to do is block it off, block Saturday night off, evening. So I, and I, during the day, I don't want to do anything spectacular. I don't want to go fishing. I don't want to go do anything because Sunday's my, the day I come to preach. I want my mind to be focused. So of all the different decisions that God's led, I look back 28 years have accumulated where I, that's been one of the most joys of my life is to spend a specific time here in the auditorium. And I pray other times, of course, but I'm talking about this one decision. And I, I challenge you that if you don't mark off time to be with God, you'll not do it. Because things will want to bump it out. Things will want to push it out. Things will want to change it. Why do I do it? it this prayer changes me. It bonds me to you. It keeps me focused on why I'm alive and what I'm doing. And it keeps my heart tender towards God's people. It's real hard to be upset with people you pray for. It's, if you get upset with somebody, just start praying for them all the time. Pretty soon you're gonna be, you'll, be, you'll be like, man, you know, they're, they need help. They're human. And Third great decision is the bus ministry. The bus ministry. We were at the very beginning of the church. We ran a bus. First Sunday I ever met. We ran an old rusty van. It was, it was a northern van. I've learned something. Never buy a van that's been in the north. And uh, we bought a van probably because it was cheap. And then you could put your hand through it in a lot of places. Old rusty van. Well, old McCollum filled that baby up with children hanging out the windows. He used to say, we had more kids than adults. We went into some of the hardest parts of town, some of the poorest parts of town, some of the some of the parts of town where people come and go. You know, one thing about the bus ministry, I wouldn't want nothing. Look, I'm not insulting anybody. I'm not. This is just about this today. This is about gospel today. It's not about other people. The Bible says, "Don't compare yourself with others. You're you're not wise." But I wouldn't personally want to pastor a church without a bus ministry. The bus ministry gives back more than it takes. Financially, spiritually, name some. It gives back more than it takes. What, you say, preacher? It gives compassion. We're going out in the highways and hedges and compelling, literally compelling them to come in, sometimes against their will. I didn't want to, I wanted to go down to the Lutheran church. Yeah, but you're here with us now. It gives us a tender heart towards children. They don't mess our auditorium up. We built this for them. They don't mess our facilities up. We built these facilities for them. It gives you a love for the lost. A realism, what's going on around the church. And a boy, more than anything, it gives you a great joy of the soul. I remember John Asher, one of our bus parents, I, for two years, we picked, I picked, my wife and I picked his kid up, five-year-old kid, Aaron. And uh, we picked him up. Every Sunday, he was faithfully ready to go. And, they, you know, John won saved and he drank quite a bit, and he'd just sometimes be mean to me. He'd be mean to me when i come by. We'd pick Aaron up, 
two years and finally got a call to go over there. And Pastor Harry McKinney led that old boy to Christ. He eventually became a bus captain. Surprise, surprise. He became head of Awana for a while. To this day, he's a soul winner. He's got a heart for souls. He goes to that thing they have up there in Daytona. What is that motorcycle thing they have up there in Daytona? For CMA, Christian Motorcycle Association. And all he does is soul win the whole time there. Get free parking. And for free parking, you get to hear the gospel. The bus ministry gives back more than it ever takes. People said, oh, that expensive. Not, you tell me the price of a soul. Tell me what it's worth. If you're the one that got saved because the church came into your neighborhood and picked you up and brought you to Sunday school. The fourth great decision in the ministry has been doing and maintaining door-to-door ministry. People ask me, why do you do door-to-door? You know, I've had preachers. This is a crazy thing. Some preachers come to me and say, preacher, we used to do door-to-door, but we quit. It didn't work. You mean knocking on somebody's door, asking if they want to hear the gospel, or asking them the church doesn't work? No, we did it for a while. I didn't see any results. I didn't know we walked by sight. I thought we walked by faith. And faith that is seen, or hope that is seen, is not hope. For what doth a man hope? For that which he seeth. And so, I don't have to have results if it's the right thing to do. Jesus said, go in the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let me challenge you with this. Bonita Springs. How are you going to get to these people? God says, these people in Bonita Springs are your field. This is your mission field. Get in there and tell them about me somehow or another. How are you going to get to them? Well, the ones who don't have gated communities, one way of getting to them is go up and knock on their door. The, the, the people live out where I live, which with hostile do not enter signs that saying nothing worth inside is dying for this the signs that say please carry id so that we can notify your next of kin that this is just the stuff this is just the stuff on the gate and then you go to the gate and says uh we have advanced advanced uh wireless internet and it shows a 45 9 11 wireless internet and i mean it shows a, a dog with his teeth bared out beware of dog one of them says, forget the dog, beware of owner. I've seen all those signs. Now, how am I going to reach those rural people? Well, we go out there and we leave little stakes now. We figure out a way to get to them. We, we do mailers. For years, we did new move-in mailing. And, but the door-to-door is, is, is a way that I can say that if, there, if you live in a house and somewhere in this area and we're allowed to get close to you, we're going to leave something for you, at least give you a chance to get saved. And if you'll come to your door, we're going to talk to you about Jesus and give you the simple plan of salvation. What is that? It's fulfilling the Great Commission. And... You get results. People bow their head. Ask Jesus to save them. Oh, I know we always have skeptics. Skeptics say, well, boy, I don't see a lot of them. Well, I don't see a lot of them come either. But I tell you what, when I'm there at the door and I hear them pray, I think a lot of that's sincere. I remember stopping by a door and a kid told me, 
If you hadn't knocked on that door, I was just getting ready to shoot myself. I told God before I shoot myself, if you're, if you're really there and you can hear my voice, have somebody come to the door. And he said, as soon as I said that, I heard. San Carlos Park. Boy, bowed his head and asked Jesus to save him. Oh, did he really get saved, preacher? You know, that's not my job to know whether he got saved or not. I mean, I did my best to follow up and everything else. My job is to give the gospel, preach the gospel to every creature. Oh, this gets better as it goes along, by the way. Why do you go door to door? Because God said so. It's an example of the book of Acts. And they went door to door, house to house. The fifth great decision, gospel baptist here has been missions. Ooh, missions. Missions, these flags. We support over 100 missionaries. I have not added the number up because I'm afraid I would be doing what David did. But man, do I want to add the number up. I want Mrs. Motes. Mrs. Motes, you looking at me? She's back there in the room. Hello, Mrs. Motes. Um, I want Mrs. Moses to add up every dollar we've ever given to missions, and I want to. I want to. I want to. I just want to get up here and have a spell. But then I get thinking what David did. You know, he wanted to count all the military to see. He wanted to kind of go like this: Look how many we got. And God said, "Don't do that. Trust me. Just let me take care of the money." I go, "Okay." I don't want seventy thousand people to die because I did it. I'll tell you what, we, I know this, we've, there's been millions and millions of dollars, more than one, more than two, given to missions through Little Gospel Baptist Church. Missionaries all over the world have been edified and helped. We've supported some of them since 1983 when we started with three missionaries. Missions gives back to the church more than it takes. I remember V.L. Martin, our first interim pastor, he was already coming to the end of his world. He was 69 years old. He had pastored already, and he was coming to the end of it. He said, preacher, I was on, he didn't tell me preacher. He said, Bill, I was golfing with him, by the way. I golfed with him because he wasn't that good. And when I golfed with him, I'd, I'd putt and then go past a hole further than his ball was close to the hole. He says, uh, never, never penned were sadder words, and it's... Never was, oh, he said something. <laughs> never, never sadder words of tongue or pen. It's your turn again, my friend. I appreciate that, brother. But he used to say to me, he says, Bill, someday you'll be a senior pastor. Someday you're going to be given direction ability in a local church. He says, make it a missions church. He said, a church is not a church. A church doesn't have a heart if it doesn't have a missions program. If his people don't care about other than themselves, what happens to a church? They look inward too much. They get introspective, overly introspective. Everything's about us, us, us. But not everything is about us. It's about the world. The sixth thing that has helped gospel and myself has been Christian school. Man, Christian school is a beautiful thing. What does it do? It gives the option of our parents to put their children in a Christ-based curriculum with Christian teachers. They have that option. I want, my child went from fourth years old through high school in a Christian education. 
It was what I decided to do. We gave them, in 1986, we decided to have a Christian school that had 12 children. Miss Smiley taught 12 children. It's changed lives. Uh, Brother um, Sweat, brother, he's gone through it. In fact, those guys in the back there, uh, Timothy went through it. Uh, where's Brother Sweat over here? Went through it. Where are you at, brother? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. His sister went through it. One time, we had, one time we had 22 kids in college out of our Christian school. They all chose to go to Christian colleges of their own, on their own or with their own. Plus, you know what the benefit? The Christian school also gives back more than it takes. You get to teachers. These teachers are high-quality people. I mean high-quality people. And the teachers said, they're humble too. They're high-quality folks. So we get the teachers. Well, when we hired Chris, we really hired his wife. We got Chris as a bonus. Amen. It was beautiful. He ruined that. Started having children. No, I didn't. He started having children and having family. Now we're so glad we had Chris come. Amen. Brother Moon, we hired Angie. Be honest with you, we hired Angie and then realized Moon was, was a, a youth director. And so secondarily, we hired Brother Moon. What a blessing, Brother Moon and Brother Angie were here to gospel. On and on it goes. He's teaching. What a blessing Amy Richards has been. Oh, my. And these other teachers. I'm going to stop there, by the way. The seventh great decision has been the track ministry. And when I was 18 years old, I got right with God, and I began to pass gospel tracts out. My, my girlfriend was unsaved, Roman Catholic, but we were pretty serious about each other, and I knew if she didn't get saved, it wouldn't work. So I gave her a gospel tract. I didn't even know how to talk to her. I had been so bad with her, I mean with her, that I knew I had no testimony at all with her about Jesus. And if I said about, anything about Jesus, it would probably take away from Jesus. So I said, well, I'll just give her a gospel tract. Gave her gospel tract. She read it. Gave her another one. She read it. Said, boy, I, I really, I really, am. she was moved by that. I began to give her the gospel. I had gotten right with God and took her to church. She got saved. Gospel tracts get, people get saved through gospel tracts. Do we have anybody here that was saved directly or indirectly through a gospel tract? One, two. We got anybody else saved? Indirectly or directly saved through a gospel tract? There's two, three. Three people. You say, that's not a lot. It is if you're one of the three. It gets the word where we can't go. You can't believe how many phone calls we get through the week. I bought this and found a gospel track. I got in my car and I found a gospel track. I bought a suit and found a gospel track. I have forgotten all of them. We should have kept track of it. Or where they found gospel track. I have bought clothes and found gospel tracks in them. I didn't get mad. We don't try to hurt anybody. We don't want to harm any equipment. But as our gospel track, the track ministry gives back more than it. So seven decisions. What were they? Number one, read your Bible. Make it number one. Two, pray. Number three, as a ministry decision, a bus ministry. Four, door to door. Number five, missions. Number six, Christian school. And number seven, track ministry. You say, are there others? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are others. Those are the top seven. And boy, oh boy, what a beautiful ride it has been. And I hope we have more and more and more years together to see that go on till Jesus comes. Thank you for being part of Gospel Baptist. Thank you for many of you in one of those or two of those ministries. Don't burn out and don't burn out and neglect the things you should do, but get in one of those ministries and make it your own. There are others, by the way, I didn't mention, and they're great ministries, but I had to limit it to seven, or you'd walk out. If I got up here and said, I want to name 20 ministries, you go, 20. I'm a preacher without a watch. I'm dangerous. May God help us to finish the course, to keep the faith, to do those things which He's led us to do and lets us do. Father, thank You for the few minutes together. These seven decisions, based on the Word of God, really, based on what You've told us to do in the Bible, what You've instructed us by example in the book of Acts, by what You've specifically mentioned in Scripture, Oh, Father, in some degree, we wanted to fulfill your will. Thank you for blessing gospel. Thank you for bringing these folks here this morning. Pray that you would bless them and anoint them and help them. There may be some here today that were convicted about reading. Maybe some convicted about not being a witness. Maybe some convicted uh, about another area, not praying much or not having a time for prayer. Uh, may, maybe there's other, but God, help us to respond to your still, small voice wherever it goes. For you know what's best for us. Forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us, Father. Help us to serve you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. If there's somebody here without Christ or Savior been looking for a better way, you say, but there's got to be something more than just eating, sleeping, working, playing, and doing it all over again, day after day after day. There is more. There's a whole eternity more, a whole another life more. May God, you help the gospel to become plain to them. Maybe you're here today without Christ. We'd love to help you. Love to show you simply out of the Bible what it means to be saved. You won't be a Baptist. You won't get baptized today. But we'd like to show you what it means to know Christ as your personal Savior. To have all your sins forgiven under His blood which was shed for you. It's why we live. It's why we move. Father, in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.